Hello and welcome to another Argus podcast in the series Driving Discussions. In the series we look at transport fuels in various markets and today the subject is gasoline in Russia. My name is William Howard and I am SVP for Business Development for Eurasia for Argus Media. And with me is Elliot Radley, the editor of Argus European Products Report. Welcome to you, Elliot. Thanks very much, Will. So the general picture, let's start start with that of, of Russia and the gasoline market. Uh, Russia is well supplied with gasoline domestically. And the government really makes sure there's no shortages or price rises in the, in the country. It's dominated by vertically integrated companies like Rosneft, Lukoil, Gazpromneft and Sorgutneft, who have large refining base and also have retail chains to add to their big crude production base. There are a few independent refiners producing gasoline, uh, Taif and Taneko in Tatarstan, and the Antipinsky refinery, and the other big, uh, bigish gasoline producers are Salavat in the Gazprom group, and the Orsk refinery, which is way down near the Kazakh border, uh, and is part of the Rusneft group. And there's also a related subject, which is the NAP for production, which uh, Russia produces in large quantities, and I'll explain why later. And the, the Russian gasoline market is about 30 million tonnes a year, uh, and about 20% of that is Moscow and the Moscow region. So it's a crucial, crucial area. And in contrast to diesel, gasoline production is similar, similar size to the domestic demand, and, and only about five and a half million tonnes were exported last year. The Russian market is, is fairly regionally, regional. So local markets are fed by local refineries, while the bulk of the refineries are situated in European Russia. And there's a group of uh, refiners which are particularly advantageously positioned to supply the crucial Moscow market. The market in, inside Russia is not strictly speaking regulated, but there's a complexity of tax rules and financial reporting that really make it difficult. I think on that, Will, the one we tend to hear most about, uh, on my team at least, is, is the export duty. Um, if you could tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so the, the export duty is is definitely the one that's been running for many years and is variable tax, which based on historical prices on export markets. And there's a lag of about a month. So price rises don't get taken in for a month and price falls don't get taken into that tax for uh, about a month. Um, the government now planning to phase it out to try and put uh, refined products and crude on a level, level playing field. And that's pretty, that's, that's a good thing because in the past it's really been used to protect the refinery margin for, for example, simple refiners who have been producing a lot of uh, heavy fuel oil in their yields. Another recent one that was added is the so-called dampening coefficient, which is an interesting one because it uh, creates a compensation structure to uh, balance exports and domestic prices for gasoline uh, in order to keep the domestic market well supplied. Um, and without going through all these different taxes, it's uh, easy to see that 
really it, it does complicate choosing where companies uh, are selling their product each month in order to optimize their uh, their prices very interesting okay so things are changing on the on the tax front in in russia um what's happening in the in the gasoline market at the moment over there i mean have they been affected by uh, these mobility lockdowns that we've seen elsewhere across the continent i imagine there must be some effect there as well yeah that's right and sort of as around everywhere in europe and globally there really has been huge demand destruction i think what we can see is the average around russia is probably about 30 percent uh it has been noticeable more in moscow where, where people use cars a, a lot more probably and that's probably about 40 to 50 percent but it also varies region by region uh, St. Petersburg region, it seems, has been less affected. Um, while there's a lot of driving done in the south of Russia, uh, and the demand drop there has been been pretty significant. Western Siberia, I don't think, has been significantly affected at all. But the interesting thing I sort of wanted to focus on is that the the major tool used to control the gasoline supplies inside the country really has been to lower refinery production. So coming into 2020, the seasonal maintenance was already relatively large that had planned, planned for the second quarter. And then March and April, when demand started to fall, refinery maintenance plan doubled uh, and it stood at over 7 million tonnes of CDU capacity down in the second quarter. And that's about 600,000 barrels a day. And since those plans there's been further stoppages at refineries and uh, really it's all been put under the umbrella of unplanned maintenance but of course it really has the effect of production cuts okay interesting so quite a lot of capacity offline in russia at the moment it sounds like has that um has that helped the the fundamental situation over there has have these run cuts worked yeah, it, it seems to be. It seems to have, seems to have worked. Um, gasoline exports went down uh, in April versus March by a small amount um, and certainly indicating that there was no general rush for companies to export markets uh, followed it following their lockdown measures. And it's quite surprising, really, considering that the market was already really well supplied before 2020. Um, this thanks really to the this dampening coefficient tax, um, which really keeps the supply going to the domestic market, whatever. Um, the way it works is that companies are reimbursed if their sales on the domestic market end up to be less profitable than sales to export markets. So it really it it leaves the, the product in the country. It doesn't have this pull um, towards more valuable export markets um, and so that meant that really storages were, were well full well full even before this uh, demand uh, destruction and making it all, all the more important for literally the, the the molecules not to be refined and uh, and, and taken to storage what appears an anomaly in this market as well then is that uh, 
re- retail prices haven't fallen at all during this period. Um, they are standing at roughly 45, 50 rubles uh, rubles per litre. So that's uh, on, the, on about 40 to 45 cents a, uh, a litre. So what it also appears to have come out as an as a anomaly in the pricing in, in the market is that the retail prices haven't fallen at all during this period, even though there seemed to have been the uh, saturation of the the market and the storage inside the country. So this has created a really a good uh, margin for refiners with retail outlets, as the crude prices have been at record lows. So for companies like Rosneft, Gazpromneft, retail margin is huge. Um, and for the person in the street, really, they, uh, they haven't seen any significant drop. Prices at the pump are about 45 to 50 rubles a litre, which is uh, about 40, 43 cents, uh, cents a litre in US terms. Um, but the dampening coefficient means they're going to have to repay, reimburse the state if the domestic price uh, is more profitable than exports when all co- the costs have been taken into account and they compare it with, with international market. Another surprise is that prices on wholesale markets, which the ones were that had been really under pressure before this as a signal of how full the storages were, they've also been starting to rise and we saw real significant price jumps uh, last week as Russia came out of the May holidays. And it, the reason seems to be for that is that the refineries that have shut down for maintenance are now leaving a vacuum and even the bigger producers are having to cover some short supply by buying it on the market. And in addition to that, the, the regional nature of Russia's market and the distances involved really make uh, alternatives pretty expensive if you're having to having to source alternative barrels. In addition, uh, we've seen a couple of things in the regulatory space which have seemed to have helped strengthen the situation domestically. Uh, firstly, the government halved the amount that oil companies are obliged to sell on the Spimex exchange. This uh, is usually calculated as a percentage of their production and therefore it's thinned out the amount available on the free float basis for people who need to uh, to source barrels. And the second thing was that the government moved pretty quickly to uh, make a preemptive ban on imports so that companies couldn't take advantage of cheaper barrels from outside Russia. And this was aimed pretty specifically uh, to reduce volumes from Belarus, which as the barrels uh, started to, to get cheaper uh, in uh, March and April, they started to, to appear in the Russian market um, and uh, competing here in the Russian space. Very interesting. So some measures there that seem like a bit of new freedom, as well as some newly uh, applied measures as well. Um, why did the Russian authorities decide to take those steps? What was the thinking behind uh, those? Well, well, I think they, I think they really, they really 
trying to protect their own refining firstly um, and that's always been under siege from uh, these measures of, of extra production uh, and certainly imports is, is would be a really disastrous thing for for them to to have coming into the countries um, and they're always really mindful of how important refineries are for, for the regions. They're a big employer and they're a significant money earner in each of these centres. Um, and at the time, the prices really did drop drastically. You know, it's sort of, we were, were looking at, um, for Baltic levels of, you know, 60 and even 70 and $80 per tonne below the, the benchmarks, by Eurobob, uh, for example, uh, which is a benchmark, and that really sent very strong price signals into the Russian market um, in April. And I was wondering what uh, what was really happening around in the in the international markets at that time, Elliot. Um, sure. I mean, it's been a tumultuous uh, time in the European markets, I would say. Um, given the situation we all find ourselves in with these um, COVID-19 related lockdown measures, there's, of course, been a, a huge decrease in, in driving. And as a result, demand for gasoline has, has plummeted across Europe. Um, and we saw declines of as much as 80 to 90 percent in, in the last weeks of March in some countries like Spain and France. Um, so the result of that has been a lot of excess supply across the continent. So, of course, prices have, have subsequently been under huge pressure and Eurobob Oxy prices, um, the Argus produced European benchmark that, that you mentioned, Will, they, they touched record lows in mid-April on an outright basis of, of not much north of $100 a tonne. So profitability for refiners has, has, has tanked as a result. Um, and margins for gasoline specifically have come off heavily, uh, with that product often a, a loss maker for refineries and at a discount to crude benchmarks. So margins for Eurobob Oxy against North Sea dated have averaged premiums of only around a dollar in May so far. But earlier this week, they were back at discounts of two dollars a barrel to that. And in April and March, they were averaging under one dollar a barrel um, and spent plenty of sessions at a discount. So it's been it's been tough times for the European refiner. Um, because of that, there's been some run cuts uh, across Europe. Um, but in April specifically, uh, as you're touching upon, um, diesel margins in Europe were still relatively firm and were more like $15 a barrel. So what that was doing was encouraging refiners to keep processing all this, all this cheap crude, despite the um, travel restrictions beginning to really eat into demand in, in, in that time. So that combination of a, a lack of prompt demand and, and this oversupply has put the market into contango um, where prompt prices are below those for later delivery. Um, and that's been the case for some months. And that's been the case across not just gasoline, but uh, the large majority of oil products as, as well as crude. And what that does is incentivize um, placing volumes into storage tanks, of course. Um, that push hasn't just been limited to onshore tanks. We've seen a real grab for uh, vessels used as floating storage and we've even heard of barges being used as floating storage which is something that's particularly rare. So because of that rush for vessels we've seen uh, freight rates lift to record highs in recent weeks given their scarcity um, to sort of charter spot shipments 
And we even heard of rates hitting around 600 world scale, which is really unheard of. Um, so what that's done is, you know, along with the, the pressure from the fundamentals is to place a lot of pressure on the FOB value of all sorts of products. Um, and that will be, you know, affecting Russia as well as um, the European, uh, Northwest European and Mediterranean markets that I'm looking at more closely. Yeah, that certainly certainly was the case. And it's good to remember that obviously the benchmark is in the, the refining and refining hub and the uh, like the Russian market obviously gets uh, has to take a, a transportation off that. So at that world scale 600, that's why you're getting the, the huge discounts on the FOB bulk basis. And uh, it certainly gave a shock to pricing models at the time in, in Russia. Um, that was when the Russian oil companies were thinking how to try and cut two and a half billion barrels a day uh, that was being asked for them as the as the, the OPEC plus agreement went through. And and remember, logistics in Russia play also play a huge part in, in how the market works and, and the economics of the producing and, and moving products, as we just saw how it affected the the FOB, uh, the FOB Baltic versus the refining hub mar- market. And here we transportation costs can be a third or half of, of total international price for for the Russian producers. So yes, just as, as you also mentioned, netbacks for the gasoline for many Russian refineries really uh, went into negative territory. Um, during April. May gave them a little bit of relief when export duty dropped from $15 to $2 a tonne. Um, but the price shock really spurred Russia to reduce this refinery's production uh, further. And, and that's when we saw the, the more unplanned stoppages come on. And remember, this is also has the backdrop where Russian gasoline has been substituted in Kazakhstan and Central Asia uh, over the last year as upgrades to those refineries came on stream. So Kazakhstan is now self-sufficient in gasoline, even exporting to their local region, which is taking away some of Russia's traditional markets over there. So Russia's situation, if there is surplus gasoline, is pretty precarious as uh, profitable export routes are limited. So all in all, even though we could have expected more exports of gasoline out of Russia with these the demand destruction, it hasn't really materialized. I mean, gasoline exports fell slightly in April uh, and looked to be steady in May. And naphtha did, however, increase slightly in April. So a w- quick word about naphtha, because it is in effect a proxy for, for gasoline exports. Russia is net short octane, so those refiners who can't produce on-spec gasoline have to import MTB or other components. And it makes it not economical because it, it's not economic to import the MTBE and export finished gasoline back into the same market. So without the high octane components on their doorstep, the Russian refiners see more value in producing naphtha and 
export those molecules and the light streams as naphtha. And the biggest companies like Rosneft and Lukoil can also produce higher value components and there are regular those small scale exports of alkylate and reformate um, which are generally on a smaller scale than naphtha. The biggest integrated companies produce much more gasoline than naphtha uh, and surrogate nefty gas even produces no naphtha at all. In contrast some of the other refineries are skewed towards naphtha production especially the smaller ones called mini refineries which don't produce gasoline at all. The market wasn't completely balanced during the crisis of course and volatile prices have meant some unusual export directions and volumes. There were some small exports to Ukraine in April which hasn't happened since 2010 and a significant increase in supplies to Georgia from Tatarstan and increases to Tajikistan that refiners they saw as more economic at the time of the crunch in April. And these are also attractive because they can be quickly organized by rail. You don't have to send it to the port and wait for a cargo lot to be accumulated. So in conclusion, really, the Russia handled the drop in demand by drastic reductions in refinery throughput. Since the lion's share of the market is dominated by a few large companies, they avoided flooding international markets and will take probably take on the economic costs of this on their balance sheets. But it also shines a light once more that Russian gasoline production remains really tied to the demand in domestic markets and really can only be as elastic as that demand allows it to be. So coming to the end of our podcast, Elliot, uh, any last thoughts for us? Um, yeah, it sounds like it's an interesting time for Russian gasoline, and it certainly is uh, for sort of mainland European volumes as well. Um, you know, traditionally, the US has been one of the largest buyers and, and they're becoming more self-sufficient. So there was already questions about where European exports will go, how much more uh, West Africa can absorb. Um, so with this NAPTA going into the gasoline pool and, and an uptick of refinery production, potentially increasing these naphtha exports from from Russia I think the question will be even more prominent in the in the minds of European refiners um, and if potentially gasoline does get squeezed out as well eventually in in the worst case scenario then it really could have a significant effect on these regional markets so let's hope that all this pent-up demand is going to you know send people driving around everywhere across the summer if we're all free by then we hope so we hope so don't we so Thank you very much for that. In the seconds remaining, I would just like to uh, invite you to Argus's second online conference, which is called Argus Oil Products Market 2020 Global Challenges, and will take place on 30th of June at 2 p.m. Moscow time. There'll be a range of speakers covering major topics of the time, and uh, if you want more information, you can visit the website of argusmedia.com and look under the events section. So just left for me to say thank you for listening and keep safe and goodbye.